we are all faced with decisions, not every day of our life. I mean, yes, we are, we do make some decisions every day, but not every day do we make what we could call a major decision. For example, in my life, some major decisions that I've made was, what do I do? What, what career path will I take? There was a point where I was going to be an electrical engineer. And at that time, I was, um, interestingly, I was going to go to Georgia Tech. I was, but I, did, I wasn't smart enough, Tom, to go to Georgia Tech. So there it is. And so God closed that door for me, and God led me to become a pastor. And so that's the path that he called me on. And then another major decision that I made was, who am I going to marry? And I'd prayed and asked God to show me that person. And now for almost 43 years, Rhonda and I have been celebrating life together. And other major decisions after we married and had children, do I move to this church? Do I stay at this church? And so Rhonda and I have sought God's will throughout our entire marriage. And before we knew each other, we were seeking him and trying to decide and discern which path we should take. Some of the decisions that we've made were the right ones. We've made some decisions. We often have scratched our head and wondered, did we choose correctly? Did we choose the right path? Years ago, I met a pastor, or my pastor at that time, his name was James Harper. And I, as I was talking with him about whether or not I should be a pastor. That's when I was dealing with that call upon my life. He, he shared this with me back then, and it stuck with me. He basically said, you have the choice, and if you make the wrong choice, God can still use you wherever you happen to be. So he said, don't worry so much about making a wrong choice. Choose and follow your heart as God is leading, and, and on the conversation went. Now, with that said, I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life when I've wondered, God, am I making the right choice here? Am I on the right path for my, my life at this point in time? Am I doing what you want me to do? So when, when I read this psalm, actually last week, because today I was actually going to talk about another psalm, but God said, I want you to talk about this one, so here we are today. When you, when you are facing decisions, and when you are trying to, to figure out, where should I go? Because uncertainty is not a comfortable place to be. When you're wondering, God, do I need to be here, or do I need to do this? And this is in a lot of different areas of our life. Relationships. Many of you are married. If you're married, I believe the path is pretty clear. You stay married to that person. You work through it. You work on it. You work it out. If you're looking for a career change, that's another big decision people make. Or maybe you're making a decision to retire. You have to figure that out. You may be wondering, do I sell my house now or do I not sell my house now? Those are also big decisions. 
We make decisions about education. We make decisions about our, uh, our finances. And so all of these decisions can impact your life. Sometimes for the best, sometimes for the worse. So whatever decision you may be facing, I hope by the end of this message, you'll have a little bit more information, a little better idea of how to make the decision that is right. And right is the one that God would prefer you to make, the one he wants you to make. So in Psalm 25, I want you to understand, God will guide you when you seek him to make the right decision or the best decision. Now, in this psalm, it was written by a guy named David. David was the king, and scholars have debated for many years what was David talking about in this psalm. Here's the reality. We don't really know. We can only guess as to what David might have been referring to. A lot of people believe that David was reflecting back on his time when his son Absalom was going to overthrow David as the king. When Absalom said, I'm the king, my father's not, and then he went to war with David and his soldiers. And it was really a, a time of civil war in Israeli history. Whether that was what David was referring to later in this psalm, I don't want you to worry about or think about, well, is it this or is it that? That's not the major point. The major point is what David has to say about God giving you direction when you are earnestly seeking it. So, verses 1 through 3, these, these three verses are talking about David basically praying for something, protection. Let me read these verses. He says, Lord, I turn to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. I want to pause before I read the next two verses. Those three verses, you can see David is saying, God, I'm asking you to protect me. So if we go back in David, into David's life and history, when he was still a shepherd, maybe 16, 15, 17 years of age, it was at that age that Samuel the prophet came and, and um, wait a minute, my mind just fully went, all right, let me just move on. It's when the prophet came and anointed him to be the king of Israel. And, and it was a secret kind of thing. Saul was the king, but God had rejected Saul because of Saul's sinful behavior and his blatant disregard for following the laws of God. And so God said, I don't want Saul to be the king anymore. I've rejected him. I want someone else to be the king. And David was chosen. And so he had this calling upon his life, and it was to be the purpose for which God had made this young man. And as David grew, and as his fame and popularity grew, as he became a mighty warrior, and as he went through his life, David encountered a lot of heartache. 
and a lot of frustration. There were many moments in David's life from the hand of Saul, his son Absalom, as well as others who tried to take his life, who tried to ruin his reputation. And so David, in these first three verses, is simply saying, Lord, I am turning to you. I am trusting in you. I am asking you to not let me be disgraced. God, protect me. Honor your word. Honor the call you placed upon my life so that I can be the person you want me to be. Because David was basically saying, I can't help what's going on out there. And that's true for so many of us, isn't it? There are things that that we go through that is out of our control. We can't help the economy. We can't help what happens in our workplace. We can't help what happens within relationships sometimes. We can't help what people say about us, but we can pray that God would do what he can do to give us strength, to give, give us encouragement, to deal with those out there who might be trying to interfere with God's purpose on your life. And so David's praying, God, give me protection. And then he moves and shifts this prayer just a little bit in verses 4 and 5. This is what he says. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Now those are some interesting words. And these words are found not just in the book of Psalms, but all throughout Scripture. These are some principles that we could follow to help us understand what God wants us to do. How God wants us to live our life. And so many of us, we do. We struggle, not just with the day-to-day decisions, but those big decisions. And some of us struggle to the point we try to second-guess analyze and figure out every minute detail that we miss the bigger picture. Faith is a a very interesting and challenging journey at times. And, And God, I think God just wants us to kind of step back and say, now listen, don't overthink it. Don't overwork it. I've got a plan. And I'll show you the plan. So when you need direction, what we can learn from David, these two verses that I just read, verses three and or four and five, we need to be cautious of some things. Because when we're trying to make a major decision, a big decision, something that could be life-altering, we, we need to be cautious of some things in our life that could lead us astray. And one of those things is our own experiences. Sometimes we lean a little too much on what we've experienced, what we've been through. That that may be helpful, but your experiences God uses, but God doesn't always lead you to the next point or the next step or the next thing or whatever it may be based on your experiences alone. But our experiences can come in and be like haunting ghosts that may allow fear to creep into our life 
and perhaps prevent us from doing something God wants us to do. I know through our years, Rhonda and I, as we've made decisions, as we've talked and as we've prayed, our past will often come up. Our history, our experiences, both the good ones and those that were not as good. And sometimes we can allow those experiences, and the same is true for you as well, you can allow your experiences to steer you in a direction that God may be saying no. Take David, for example. David's experiences, one, he was anointed to be the king. That's a good experience, a positive experience, something he could hang his hat on. But then as he fought Goliath and defeated the giant, and as the people sang David's praises, that's a good experience, but it's not also a good experience because pride could have crept into David's heart. Because David could have said, look at me. I kill the giant. I stepped in. And I, he could have used that I so much and become filled with pride. And then he would have been no different than his predecessor, Saul. So he had to be very careful of his experiences. You see, that's why our experiences are both good and bad. We can't trust them. We can't trust not just our experiences, but even certain traditions. For many of us, we we get into ruts. We get into routines. Even churches get into traditions. You ever heard that old saying, why do we do something? And the, the saying is, well, because that's the way we've always done it. We do the same thing in our individual lives. We can get into ruts. We can get into traditions. A few years ago, uh, Ron and I were looking at the Thanksgiving holiday season. And in this particular year, for the first time in our married life, our daughters were all going to be gone to their respective families. Her family was doing their thing, and we just kind of looked at each other and said, what do we do? We then said, well, we got a camper. Let's go away for Thanksgiving. We'd never done that before. We broke tradition. We had Thanksgiving dinner at a cafeteria in Rome, Georgia. It was weird because we broke tradition. We were sitting at a table, just the two of us, with other people sitting at tables. Some of them were family groups. They came to said cafeteria. And we're eating our turkey and modified somewhat gravy. I don't even know what that was eating dressing that was not home-cooked, and we kind of walked away and said, well, I want to do that again. It wasn't right. It didn't feel good. And so traditions are good, and traditions can also be traps, traps when we're trying to make major decisions. So we have to beware of our traditions. We, we also have to be cautious of people in our life. We all know people. We all are in relationships with other people. And that's good, but it can also be a trap. Some, we, many of us have watched, these shows are very popular. I, I mean, I, I've never really watched them in length, but the, the voice and, or the, the, the singing shows. And, you know, if, you, if you've watched the auditions 
when they stand and sing and you hear them sing, you immediately know, oh, you're not a singer. You, you should never be in front of those judges. One of my coworkers, now, Angie, you know this. I sing to many of my hospice patients, and I have had others. I remember the day I'm singing to one fella. He, he literally is on his deathbed. And Amazing Grace was his favorite song. I'm singing Amazing Grace at the family's request. What I did not know is she was on Facebook live. And I thought, oh my, that just went out to who knows whom. But my, my, my co-worker, this past week, she asked me where, she said, where do you pastor? And I told her where I pastored. And she said, I'm going to come to your church. And I said, okay, you'd. I'd love for you to come to our church. And she said, and you're going to sing. And I went, no, 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 no. I don't do that. I do what I'm doing right now. She said, I, I've heard you're, you've got a beautiful voice. And I just told her, finally, I said, Andy, if you come to my church, I will sing Amazing Grace. But only if you come. So now, y'all have it. Now, I am saying this to say, people tell us things that we sometimes want to hear. Sometimes our friends don't often tell us the truth. They don't want to hurt our feelings. Now, I'm not saying as a friend to another person you need to be ugly, but we do need to be truthful. When someone is seeking and trying to make a decision about something that could alter the course of their life, we need to be cautious of whom we seek advice from because not everybody is going to give us good advice, godly advice. We also need to be cautious of our feelings. Feelings is a word that, that's just in the past few years has become a big thing. And we talk about it all the time. Uh, how do you feel? Well, I, we, we need to tap into our feelings and our emotion. And, and, and yes, we do need to be aware of what's going on in our emotional center. But we also need to be reminded that Scripture also talks about the heart. Not the heart that pumps the blood, but the emotional center of who we are is the most deceptive of all that we are. Our feelings can lead us down a wrong path. We have to be careful and cautious of these things. So David said in this psalm, he said in verse 4, God, make your ways known to me. Make them known. He's in a sense begging God. God, I am earnestly, urgently asking you to make your known or make your ways known to me. Make your path known to me. How then do we figure out what we should do when facing a major decision? We need to sift everything in our life. As we're being cautious of these other things, we need to sift everything else, one, first and foremost, through Scripture. I have all kinds of ideas. There's times that I think I'm a 
pretty amazing counselor. And then there are times I think I could give the stupidest of all advices. There are times that I could look and say, oh, you need to come to me. I can solve all of your world's problems. There are times when Ron and I have sat and talked, when she's telling me about her day a few years ago. I worked really hard on this, by the way. And she's telling me, and you know what thoughts pop into my man brain? I know how to fix it. I'll help you fix it. Now, interpreted, this is what my man brain is really saying. You talk about this stuff all the time. I'm tired of hearing it, so let me just tell you how to fix it so we don't have to talk about it anymore. Now, I don't know if any of you other men are like that, but that's the way I work. And so I wanted to tell her how to fix it so we didn't have to talk about that anymore. And what she said was, I just, wanted, I just want you to listen. And after a while, I'm like, I don't want to listen. I want to fix it. So when we are looking for solutions we, we have to remember Scripture gives us solutions to almost all of our issues. And I say almost, some of them are very blatant. I mean, very clear. I mean, obvious. Others are principles that we've got to dig a little deeper into. And that's why I'm saying you've got to sift major decisions through Scripture to find the nugget of truth that God wants you to hear. A while back, I was visiting another hospice patient, and uh, his caregiver was in the kitchen. So this is like a kitchen-living room combo setting. I'm sitting in there, and she's in there, and I just asked her, I said, what are you about to do? And she said, I'm fixing to make some biscuits. And I went, oh, boy, I like biscuits. She got out the flour and the buttermilk, and the Crisco, and I kind of watched her, you know, work her magic. I mean, within 10 minutes, she's got biscuits in the oven. And I'm thinking, wow. I looked at her, and I said, can you teach me how to make a biscuit? She said, it's really easy. So I went on a venture to make biscuits. One of the things we talked about was sifting the flour. I'm thinking, why do you need to sift the flour? It's in a bag. She said, you got to sift the flour. Makes it fluffy. And I went, oh, whatever. I'm saying that we have to sift all of our emotions and all of our feelings and all of our experiences and all of our traditions and all of the people who are speaking into our life. We've got to sift all of that through Scripture. We've got to remove those lumps of flour that will make the biscuits of your life not as tasty as it should be. Hopefully that makes sense. So we've got to sift it through Scripture because God, David said, make your ways known. Then he said, teach me your paths. Make your ways known, God. Teach me your paths. And then guide me in your truth. All that David is saying is what all of us need to do. When we are making decisions, we turn to Scripture and we say, God, show me in your word what I need to do. Show me the, the, the direction. Show me the path. Guide me. Because I'm just not sure right now. We have it in our day, so much easier than when I first became a follower of Jesus. 
when I first became a follower of Jesus, when Ron and I were married in 1979, it was near Christmas we married. I asked her, we were real poor. And when I say real poor, we were college student poor. I asked her then, what do you want for Christmas? And she asked me, what do you want for Christmas? She wanted a popcorn popper. She got a popcorn popper. We no longer have that popcorn popper. It's gone. I don't even know what happened to it. I guess it just wore out. I wanted a Bible concordance. Strong's, to be specific. It was a book about yay tall, this wide, and about that thick. In this book was every word of Scripture, including Anne's, with Bible references that you could find. Because back in that day, there was no thing called the Internet. And, and, and I needed that book to help me find things in the Bible because the Bible, while not a big book, it's a big book. And to find certain verses of Scripture or stories, you could just flip for days and not find which, but with the Strong's Concordance, you could find it in a matter of moments. It was the Internet of the day. I still have it, by the way. It is still on my bookshelf in my library at home. So we sift everything through Scripture. Use Google if you are looking for something. Just type in the word, the phrase, the topic. Add to the Google search Bible and hit enter or send. And then there will be a plethora of Bible verses for you to sift through. To help you find the answers you're looking for. The second thing you sift everything through is not just Scripture, but it's also prayer. When you read the Bible and when you read those verses, then you say, God, just like David did, make this known to me. Help me find your path. Teach me, God, to know what it is you want me to know. You're asking God to help what you just read in Scripture to go from the page to your brain and then into your heart. You, you need, because sometimes when we read Scripture, and it's as clear as it is printed on the page or on your tablet, as clear as it is, you still may go, yeah, I don't like that. Let me go find another verse. And you go, oh, here's a contradiction. No, there, there's no contradiction. That's your heart your feelings saying to you, I don't want to do it, so I'm going to find a way to make it not work. We've got to sift through all of our emotions and all of our feelings and all of our wants and say, God, help me do this not my way, but do it your way. Ron and I, Wednesday morning, um, when, when we go camping, we, we get to talk a lot unlike normal times. We had a conversation, and as we were talking about our life and our future and all of you know the wonderful things that married people talk about, we, we came up with this phrase. Sometimes we have to empty ourselves of ourself to hear God. 
I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase or not, but I want you to know that is a difficult phrase to put into real practice. To empty yourself so that you can hear God speak. That's a hard thing to do. But it's something you must do, and that comes through your prayers. God, help me to see your way. Help me to see your path. You also sift major decisions, not just through Scripture and prayer. Those are the two most important. But also a real, true, bona fide, godly person who will be truthful with you, who will be honest with you, who will help guide you, who will not tell you what to do, but will help lead you or point you in the right direction. We need those people in our life. We need somebody who can just sit down with us and hear us and then kind of go, well, have you thought about this? Have you reflected on this possibility or this idea or this thought or this scripture? We need somebody in our life who will help us sift through our own struggle. And the last thing I want to share with you is what David wrote in the last verse I read. Verse 5, he says, I wait for you all day long. Waiting is not easy. None of us like to wait. If you like to wait, wait, please come to me after the service and tell me that to my face. And not only do I want you to tell me that to my face, I want you to explain why you love to wait. Most of us don't like waiting. We go where we go to do what we want to do to get it done as quickly as possible to get back to go do something else. We don't like waiting, most of us. David said, God, I'll wait for you all day long. Wait. Oh, Waiting is the most difficult thing, at least for me it is. I don't like waiting. How many of you like being behind the slow poke on a two-lane curvy road? You ever honked your horn at that person? Did your anger ever boil within you? Did you ever think, what's wrong with you? No, most of us are just nice people in traffic. We say to the slowest person that's out there, hey, look, I know you're slow. I'm going to slow down so you can pull out in front of me and go slower than I am because I love to wait. Now, that's not, that's not what most of us do. Most of us, when we get in the line to check out at the grocery store or wherever it may be, we look for the shortest, fastest line, and if someone dares leave their buggy to go back and get something, we want to move their buggy and say, you lost your place in line. You should have came prepared. That's the way we think because we don't want to wait. But yet when we are making some major decision, something that could change the course of our life, we need to not only sift this decision through Scripture and prayer and godly people, but we also need to learn to wait, to be patient. It's just not easy. But, but David specifically says, God, I will wait for you all day long. 
This was not literally a figure of speech. David waited for the answer to this prayer more than a day. It was days. Days. Some of us read this and we go, okay, I've only got to wait for God to give me the answer a day. You pray the prayer when you get up in the morning and now you're about to go to bed and you're saying, God, I've waited all day long, now what's the answer? And God's like, eh, I think you need to wait another day. And then another day. And another day. And at some point you say to God, I'm tired of waiting. I'm just going to make the decision. God says, no, no, you don't need to do that. You need to wait. Most of you know I love college football. I watched a few games yesterday, bits and pieces. One of the fascinating things about college football is when a running back gets the football and is looking at his team in front of him, those linemen trying to block the other side to open up a path for him to walk, to run through. Some running backs, they don't wait. They just go. And you know where they go? Most of the time, they don't go very far. But there are those beautiful moments when that runner with that football waits for that little hole to open, and then he runs right through it. And then he misses and evades another defender, and he runs all the way down to score a touchdown. Those are beautiful moments because he waited for the right moment, for that little window of opportunity to open. See, some of us fear that if we don't charge full steam ahead, that window will close and we'll miss it. But here's what I'm trying to explain. If we avoid rash, hasty decisions and take our time and let God lead us and guide us and direct us, and when that door opens, when that window opens, and God says, now go, 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 and we go, the blessing can be phenomenal. It's all about tuning your mind, your heart, your ears, your eyes, as simply as I can say, to hear God say, go. Now. This is it. That's the hard part. Listen on the radio to something, watch TV, and you hear something. Many people that you've never met, when you hear that voice, you recognize that voice. For most of us who are people of faith, we can recognize the voice of someone we've never met or someone we've known for a really long time. We know who it is when they speak because of the relationship we have with said person. But the most difficult voice for every one of us to hear is the voice of God. And yet Jesus said that we will know his voice. It's a little troubling, isn't it? I'm encouraging you today, when you're 
asking God to guide you to just step back and say, God, help me be patient so that I can hear your voice. I hear all of the noise out there. I need to drown that out so I can hear your voice. Help me hear your voice so that I will know the path to take. Let's pray together.